Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. As a parent, have you ever told your child, eat that, it's good for you? I suppose that every parent in the world has said that at some time to their children. I must confess that in quite a few times when I said to my children, do eat that because it's good for you, I have to admit I was kind of a do as I say and not as I do. I kind of felt that as president of my own house, I didn't have to eat broccoli if I didn't want to. As the years have gone by and I've gotten older and perhaps a bit wiser, and I've found myself eating more things than I used to because some of them are just good for me. Broccoli is still not included in there, although sometimes Someone will tell me, well, put a cheese sauce on it, and it's good. Well, putting a cheese sauce on it seems to defeat the purpose of broccoli. Not real fond of peas, either. I've had people say, you can't even taste them, to which I reply, well, then what's the point? But anyhow, even now as a grown man, I find it necessary to remind myself to eat certain things simply because it is good for you. That's a real good principle to apply in our lives as Christians. The Bible indicates to us that there are some things, relatively simple things, that we can do that are just plain good for us. Sometimes we can forget to do these simple things, or sometimes we might let Satan distract us from them. Just as in the case of what we eat, we can get into bad habits that might make us feel good at the moment, but are not at all good for us. When that happens, we just have to pull back and remind ourselves that we need to be doing what is good for us. There's a passage of scripture I want us to focus upon that kind of does that very thing. Not only remind us that we need to be doing those things that are good for us, but also points out what some of those things are. If you happen to have a Bible nearby, go to Philippians chapter 4, where we'll be looking at verses 4 through 9. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which patheth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Looking at that passage, let's start with the obvious. Be 
joyful. It is good for you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. I struggle with this one from time to time because occasionally circumstances are not such as to promote the normal worldly concept of joy. But the truth is Paul is commanding us to be joyful. And that could not be possible if that joy was ultimately and finally controlled by circumstances. Think of Paul and Silas in prison with their feet made fast in the stocks. They were not joyful because of the circumstances they were in. I am sure that they no more wanted to be in jail in such an uncomfortable position than you or I would. But circumstances did not dictate their joy. They could rejoice in the Lord wherever they were and whatever the circumstances they were in. If our rejoicing is in the Lord, and it really is in the Lord, then it really is possible to rejoice always. I have lost sight of this myself from time to time, but you know what? It was such an important matter that Paul repeated himself. He said, again I say, rejoice. I think the need to repeat himself was primarily because what he is saying covers the darker, more difficult times of life as well as the brighter. This is a peculiar, peculiar view of Christians. We are the only ones who can rejoice in hard times as well as good. That doesn't mean that we like being in the hard times, but it does mean that our joy is not dependent upon our physical circumstances. So, if you're a faithful Christian, you need to be joyful, and we need to do that because it's good for us. We need to be kind because it's good for us. Notice how verse 5 of Philippians chapter 4 begins, Let your moderation be known unto all men. Those words mean, Let your forbearing spirit be known unto all men. There are a lot of different words that have been used to describe what Paul meant. Some have said reasonableness, even sweet reasonableness. One man chose the word big-heartedness in an attempt to find a word that would include all the nuances of meaning. Put them all together and it means to show courtesy and to be fair in our dealings with others. It is so easy to be kind if we just work at it. We should be willing to forgo some of our own rights and privileges out of concern, sympathy, and consideration of others. Certainly this is how Jesus conducted himself. Paul even referred to the meekness and gentleness of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. However, at the same time, it is easy to let the bad things that happen derail us. We can get short with others, treat them poorly. We can even let the frustrations of life, and there are frustrations of life, keep us from being kind to the people around us. Paul is telling us to go the other way. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of frustrations, we should be kind to the extent that everyone can see our forbearing spirit. This sort of kindness does at least two things. First, it forces us to focus on others and not to dwell on our own problems. Secondly, it helps us to feel better, since those we encounter will feel better being around us. Just think of how much difference a smile can make. So let's be kind to others, no matter what we might be going through, because well, because it's good for us. Let us learn to be content, because being content is good for us. Look at how verse 6 begins. 
be careful for nothing. The New American Standard Bible translates it, be anxious for nothing. Actually, the word that is translated as anxious or careful can be used in a good or a bad sense. It's the same word Paul used in chapter 2 and verse 20 when he wrote of Timothy's care for the brethren. But in chapter 4 and in verse 5, it means something different. These brethren lived in difficult and uncertain times. There were the dangers of persecutions that were very real and even possible economic disadvantages that would come to them because they were Christians remaining true to the Lord. Jesus himself had predicted that that would be the case for his disciples, but then taught us not to worry. Place our confidence in him and go on. Instead of worrying, we have to learn to be content. Stay in Philippians chapter 4 and let's read verses 11 through 13. Paul wrote, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Learning to be content sure frees up a lot of energy. It can help to calm us, relax us. It's just good for us. One more passage along this line and then we'll move on. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, we find, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. My friends, we need to be praying. We need to be praying because it is good for us. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul continued on and wrote, But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The path to this contentment, to this peace that Paul talks about in verse 7, is a path that includes prayer. In fact, Paul teaches us that we are to pray about everything. There is nothing too big for God and nothing so insignificant that he does not want to hear. You remember the parable that we find in Luke chapter 18 verses 1 through 7? Let's go ahead and read that. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man, and there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect? which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? How many times do we read that Jesus rose up early, while it was still dark, to pray? How often do we find Jesus spending the entire night in prayer? If the Lord Jesus saw the need to spend time in prayer, even if it meant getting up early to do so, 
we should set aside time to go to our Father as well. We need to pray because it is good for us. There's another point from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. We should be thankful. We should be thankful because it is good for us. When Paul was talking about prayer, he made it clear that with thanksgiving, we should let our requests be made known unto God. Our prayers are to be filled with thanksgiving. As we unburden ourselves to God, it is so important that we also take the time to thank him for all that he has done. This helps to build our joy, to calm our spirits if they are troubled, and it helps us to focus on the good. Being thankful is vital if we truly want to be happy. I remember a story, and it has always stuck with me, even though it was told to me by a nun when I was in the first or second grade. Understand that it was just a little story meant to make a point. She told the story that one day God sent out two little angels to go among the people. Each angel had a basket. One was to fill his basket with requests, and the other was to fill his basket with thank yous. The angel with the request basket came back in, and it was completely filled, even to overflowing. The angel with the thank you basket had only one or two. The nun embellished it a bit, bringing in tears and such, but it has always stuck with me. In a certain way, it was truly gratifying to learn that that is what God wants. He wants us always to pray, but to remember to do so with thanksgiving. So let's be thankful because it is good for us. As we turn our attention back to Philippians chapter 4, one of the things we notice is Paul teaching us to be positive. And so we need to be positive because it is good for us. He teaches us to focus our attention on positive things. He teaches us to focus our thoughts upon things that are true, honest, just, pure, wholesome, of good report and worthy of praise. These are the kinds of things that we need to think about. Let me tell you, I'm not always positive. However, I live with the queen of positive, and she teaches me that if we focus on the negative too much of the time, we'll miss the beauty and the blessings that are all around us. As I examine God's dealings with man, the overall picture is positive. Even when man first sinned, God saw the bad, yes, but he also spoke of the dawn of a new day, not the end of his relationship with man. Remember Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15? And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. At the scene of the first sin, God informed Satan that Jesus would come and redeem man. He promised way back then that good would win. What is amazing about this is that God keeps on seeing the good in people even when people act so evil. Think of one of the most well-known passages of Scripture, John chapter 3, verse 16, and what it tells us about God. He could look at a wicked, rebellious, sin-filled world and still find that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Think about a remarkable passage 
Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it tells us, and this is the King James Version, For women were without strength. In due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it would be so good for us to make it our habit to see the good around us. Even in a wicked world, there are so many good things. I think about something as horrific as 9-11 was. But in such terror-filled times, we saw again that people are still courageous and willing to risk their lives to help others. If somebody here has something tragic happen in their lives, the brethren are right there to help. If something good happens, the brethren are right there to rejoice. We need to be positive because it is good for us. From Philippians chapter 4, and this time verse 9, we learn that we need to be imitators of Paul just as he was of Christ because it is good for us. Peter tells us the greatest example of all that we are to follow in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 when he wrote, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. The Philippian Christians knew Paul well. They knew of his love for them and for the lost. They knew of his dedication to the cause of Christ. They knew of his willingness to sacrifice for the body. So Paul tells them to imitate him. And what he meant was exactly what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Paul modeled his life after the Lord and so should we. But you know, my friends, even today, we can find good examples around us to follow. Look around. God has blessed us with decent, godly people to be associated with. That is one reason why it is so vital to assemble with the body of Christ. We can learn from others how to live. Consider Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. We need to learn to imitate those whose faith and life are powerful examples. Even just saying that brings to my mind the faces and names of wonderful brothers and sisters I have known in the past and have prayed that I could be like them one day. Doing this is good for us. When I think of being an imitator of Paul, I think of him learning what the Lord wanted him to do and then just doing it without hesitation, without excuse. There's an awful lot of things that are just plain good for us from a spiritual standpoint that we need to be doing. Think about these things and thanks for listening.